to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing all right, Jody. I'm doing all right. All I can say is that it's been a morning, uh, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but not, not everything is... is yeah, what with uh, beta testing and coffee wipeouts and... All those other things, but yes. no, everything is everything is good, man. How are you? I, I just like you. It's been a morning, being on yeah. the phone with a credit card company and Verizon, and nobody seems to have answers for why my address does not exist in the real world. <laughs> so does that? Yeah. Does that mean that I'm not actually talking to you right now because no. your your position doesn't exist? I am a figment of everybody's imagination apparently at least according to verizon oh man i'm in deep trouble because <laughs> i've been talking to you for i don't know 25 years so. <laughs> i'm sorry to have informed you of this this morning however yeah i've got I, some like beautiful mind stuff going on that is correct <laughs> very much so and if Brutal. you are a listener of this podcast for the past year you're in the same boat as chris apparently <laughs> that would be an interesting podcast. Just me sitting there talking to myself and having long pauses. <laughs> well, you know, the videos that we used to post, and I say yeah. we as in you and I inside your own delusional mind, uh, had a different character to it. Uh, you were facing someone else, supposedly me, but it was really just yeah. another version of you. So this is so this there. is some like inception type shit going on right now. Right? And uh Yeah, instead of three levels deep though, I'm going four. Yeah, there's uh there's a lot of stuff going on. But speaking of inception, I'm gonna tie this in together to what we're gonna talk today. In the cinematic world, we use a lot of percussion, right? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk some percussion oh. type of stuff. Way to smooth, get off the diving right? board and go right in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smooth, smooth, smooth. Well done, you. So when I say percussion to you, what are you thinking of? What comes I'm to mind? I'm thinking of things that you hit with either your hands or a stick or a drumstick or a blast stick or some other instrument that you can use to strike another object that isn't technically part of a drum set. Although drum sets are technically percussion as well, but outside of being called a set of drums, I commonly think of anything could be percussion. Like I could sit here and do this. And that's me tapping the case of an AirPods case against the desk. And that could be considered percussion if I did it in some kind of rhythmic fashion. That would that, be percussion just to me. Ass-shaking kind of groove. No, I agree. Oh, yes. It's just about anything could be a percussive instrument, right? If you play it rhythmically enough or just add hits. But, but that's kind of how I think about it too. You know, well, you know. Uh, obviously there is. Yeah, go ahead. There are traditional types of percussion, though, then, and, and sure. that would include things like egg shakers and tambourines and congas and other stuff of that nature. 
Right. If I grab this, most people would probably recognize that as something you only hear at a given time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let, let's keep it at that, huh? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Those are no, the type of things that I would strike as being percussion as well. There are obviously actual instruments that are considered actual percussion instruments. Sure. And then there's the whole other world that, you know, we alluded to where just about anything can be percussion where it's metals and woods and things that, that frequently used, or I use anyway, a lot of times in, in some of the work that I do that has a little bit more of a cinematic feel. And right. sometimes even in just air quotes here, like regular writing, like a regular songs, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? What would be regular? Come on, man. Uh, Nothing like about pop. music is regular. Yeah, yeah, if you do it well enough, right? That's so, why uh, I love it. So, so why do you use percussion? Why do I use percussion? Yeah. Out of boredom. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so, no, not necessarily. The answer to that technically comes from the fact that if you need something to give additional spice to an arrangement or a recording, that would probably be my most common use of a percussive element would be to give additional spice. Now, some people might take offense to this because all they do is play percussion and they're never feeling like they are the spice. They might be the actual groove. I don't yeah. know. How do you feel about it? I, that's just kind of where I'm coming from when I'm thinking about percussion because technically I'm not a drummer, although I wanted to be a drummer first before I became a guitar player. Yeah. However, parents were like, no, that'll be too loud. It'll be too annoying. That, too much noise. Yeah. <laughs> I share your view there. Obviously, there are certain styles of music where percussion is prevalent. Like the, the immediate one that comes to mind is like if you're talking about Latin styles of music, like yes. samba and things like that. That's the very much the driving force. But and the then- force then you have that that situation that you talked about where they are the, the main focus. But for me in more of the, the rock and the pop world, I oh, think very much like you that it is it is a spice, right? Where you add, you know, something it could be like something as simple as adding like a shaker, like you mentioned, or a tambourine or something to layer on top of a rhythmic part or a mm -hmm. rhythmic kit already. So yeah, it is a spice when it comes to sort of like songwriting for me. I, I pretty much share that. Also, you know, I mentioned that I do some things that are very sort of cinematic sounding. Right. And then it becomes more of creating an atmosphere, whether that's like impending danger or just a hugeness of having these giant taiko drums and that type of thing, right? And then <laughs> giant taiko it, drums. When does that actually get like worn out as a useful situation, I wonder? Or does it? As obviously they've been around for generations upon generations in uh, some yeah, sense. That's a good that's a good question. That's a good question. I think you know everything kind of goes through phases where some things become just like, oh my God, stop it doing this already, right? Whether it's like, you know, but how many, we still hear like the, the swelling symbol going into a different hit or to a different section and stuff. And that's like, oh my God, how guilty. cliche is that? But, but guilty. yeah, oh, guilty, guilty. guilty is charged here as well. But I suppose you can almost look at it as just being a testament to how well that works. You know, having those big 
taiko drums there. Oh, we're going into battle now, you know. <laughs> you know. Or you can just sample you know, me doing that. Out yeah. of curiosity, <laughs> do you ever use taiko drums in any situation outside of going to the battle concept? I know I have as a layer, as yeah. kind of like sneaking it in somewhere, however. Well, I think the thing with this, it's such a, a distinct sound and it's such a powerful sound. It almost becomes inappropriate or sometimes even comical if you're using it in situation that is not full of energy or sort of impending doom, right? <laughs> let's say that, because I mean, let, let's say that you're you're scoring a scene where the hobbits are going out to pick raspberries, you know, and you hear big taiko drums. It would just be like comical. It, it would be, you know, really inappropriate. The same thing if you're perhaps singing in, in a more traditional songwriting sense and you're thinking, this is, I'm singing about the love of my life here and now all of a sudden we got, you know, <laughs> masses of taiko drums happening as you're going to go meet this person, right? Well, but maybe they're expressing the heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can make that work, man, hey, more power to you. Exactly. You know, I think it, but at the same time, I, if I didn't mention before, I think it's one of those things that you can almost look at it as it's a testament to something standing the test of time with a certain sound just because it conveys a certain emotion so well. Right. right. Well, so, right. yeah. Under, understood. I get it. The bigger thing in, in terms of how you and I commonly see percussion is it's generally used to reinforce an existing groove that's yeah. for most percussive elements now obviously that doesn't fit all things at all times but in a general sense for a lot of the pop for a lot of the rock for a lot of country and a lot of production music that isn't cinematic percussion yeah. is more of a an added spice kind of thing yeah yeah, and it's re it's a really really effective tool as well. To yes. I, I find to like just inject some energy or whatever, or just propel a rhythm forward when it kind of needs a little bit of a lift. So, yeah, it, it's a great thing to do. I like it. I like it a lot, and it's a <laughs> it's a nice little tip to or trick to to add that interest again. You know? Okay, Jim Carrey. Right. And with, that, <laughs> and with that, we will take a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. And we're back. Kind of dipped our toe in there a little bit about the benefits of using percussion. Yes. Right? So besides the energy of adding something to a part, maybe it's something as simple as adding a shaker to a chorus part or, or a tambourine just going on. You know, Ad nauseum. Four or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, do you ever get tired of that? Well, it works most of the time, right? So. Especially when you layer it in. It's, it's, you can use it as additional layering concepts if you get really anal about it and you use the modern technology of DAW editing to get it right into a layered sound where it's like right on the same beat starts at the same point as your actual recording in terms of sample size or whatever it is that you're layering it to, you can create some really cool things by layering multiple percussive sounds into whatever else it is that you need. The timing thing there becomes really, really important because if you have, at least in my experience, if you have a busy 
shaker or tambourine part or both, if they're not locking with, let's say, hi-hat of the drummer, if there is such a thing as a drum kit, mm -hmm. you can very, very quickly just end up with a mess. And instead of, of reinforcing a groove or a feeling, you just create problems Chaos. for yourself. Yeah, Chaos. exactly. And then it's obviously the, the opposite effect, but. Yeah, well, yeah. When I, and what I meant by that is with layering is that you already have some sort of groove created. Yeah. And you're trying to add additional coloration to specific hits going on. Let's say that you want to have not only a hi-hat going where maybe you want to emphasize a downbeat of two and four that go with the snare. So you've mm -hmm. got the snare and a hi-hat hitting on your two and your four. And if you're emphasizing the hi-hat with some sort of tambourine-y type thing, you probably want to lock that in yeah. to your hi-hat or the snare, one of the two. Because you start getting too many things that are smearing across the initial hit spectrum, I guess would be the best way to say that you're going to have this weird multi-flamming thing going on that could probably distract from what you're attempting to do and layering it in rather than adding benefit as. Right. Yeah. And there's that, you know, how much you straddle that fence between how much emotion or humanity is part of the, of the track as opposed to it's too much humanity. You're just distracting from the groove now, you know? So <laughs> there's too uh, much humanity. There's just, I yeah. can't take it anymore. There's too much humanity. Ah! Yeah. Now Sorry. I got a thought there when you said layering a tambourine track with, you know, the snare and, and hi-hats. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had the situation where you only add a tambourine hit on let's say two and four and not having sort of like the shaker part are you talking about just the accent or just adding like a tambourine strictly on on the two and four is that something that you've ever done when i do that i'm going to be adding it as accent if there's an actual right. tambourine part that's totally different but if i'm talking about the layering thing as i'm kind of hiding it in there as an additional so coloration all, to whatever the sound is. And I want to lock it to another sound in order to make that layer sound like its own unique sound of two mm -hmm. things melded together. That needs to have that timing to be like specific. If it's an sure. entirely different part, that's a whole other ball of wax that I wasn't really referring to. So I'm talking okay. about accenting certain things. Like if I want that two and that four to get a bit more flavor out of it and I've got a kick and a snare, or well, I'm generally not kicking on a two unless I'm doing a four on the floor thing, but a snare and a hi-hat going and the drummer is playing a little bit more aggressively on the two and the four, you got a little bit of an accent there. But if you want to spice it up a little bit more and you layer in other sounds with certain hits, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's that's an interesting technique. I I usually don't do that as much, at least not up to this point. To me, it's if I'm adding a tambourine, it would generally be the sort of generic, entity. sort of like, yeah, but still obviously locked to the groove, right? But it might be one of those, you know, standard things where you have a sixteenth note groove, but you're 
having that accent, like you said, on whenever the snare part happens to be or the right. hi-hat high, high pattern tends to be, but as opposed to just adding it, which is another cool thing to do, but just adding it on actual hits of the groove itself. Yeah. Even well, though it's not necessarily carrying out. Get with it, man. No, just kidding. <laughs> I will. I'll have to do that later on today. It's going to so, change my world. Yeah. Well, so with the percussion element thing, when you're talking about being its own like track and style, there are like, it's imperative for folk music to be driven with a tambourine and or egg shaker or something of that nature or uh, a cajon. Those things are like, they're driving. Though That's yeah. the type of style that that, music requires their folk music doesn't necessarily get into a whole lot of drum kick snare one two three four kind of thing and if it does a lot of the time that drummer is probably treating the snare drum more like a percussive instrument where he's rolling 16th notes and accenting certain things in that regard and it would be the same thing for latin while you probably don't necessarily always have a drum kit to latin you're definitely got conga players you definitely got gyro players gyro 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 ah, uh, not pronouncing that correctly, and it makes me feel stupid. Anyway, those Latin-type things, and you got your cowbells, and you got your other type of little non-drum set-type elements that are all going on in Latin music as well. So those type of things are very imperative to those yeah. styles. And without them, do you really have the style? Maybe not. So you need well, to at least take a when we're talking, At least when we're talking about in a, in a traditional sense— Right? Oh. And the same thing could be said for, you know, we're mentioned, where you mentioned before, like country. Yes. Right? Where traditional country music is different. You could almost argue completely different musical style than what, what is considered country today, for better or worse, depending on how you f feel about that. But today, when we think about country, it's, it's a lot more modern and, and you have almost these big 80s kind of drum kit type of sounds, right? And yep. the same can of course be said for some Latin styles, more like modern, but we're talking about it in a traditional sense. If you're trying to sound traditional, you need to have these elements there, right? You're not gonna have, if you're gonna play a samba, you're not gonna have a big Bonham drum kit, you know? <laughs> so Could you imagine just, dancing samba to a drum Bonham drum sound? I suppose it could be done. I've never thought of it, I'm, but. Now I have. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to picture it right now, actually, and, I, and I'm I'm struggling to do so effectively. <laughs> well, you yeah. brought it up. I, I did bring it up, so uh, I shall hang for it. Um, That's right. But so mm. it, there is a part of that, the benefit of just adding energy to a track. There is a stylistic thing where we have to think: is this imperative for for the style, the music that we're doing? And the other thing is, of course, just you know, creating moods that we talk more in a cinematic sense. Right. Where, you know, it can be, you know, the, the aforementioned taiko drums, or it could be something that I like to use a lot. It could be, you know, just metals or wood percussion parts happening, you know, that, that I think can be very, very effective and can give a very sort of eerie, sound to a track if we add a lot of metals, for example, because it, it can just have a big spooky sound. And, you know, if you're doing things a little bit more on the horror type of spectrum, 
Right. Yeah. Well, would you know, playing the sock be considered playing percussion? Because the saw can get some really crazy sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about playing a saw, maybe running it through a distortion pedal and plenty of reverb. Uh, that's a pretty cool sound, you know? It's like being so, smashed uh, by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thinking of a movie trailer that I did some soundtrack and, and music work for, and there was a very crazy instance of kind of a saw sample run through distortion, uh -huh. and it yeah. shows a person getting smashed by a bus. That's why it popped into my head. When That's why that is ball. locked in your head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because playing a saw and, and being smashed by a bus could be a – a bad meme, I think, somewhere. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, so, but but yeah, we, we don't need to get that dark, right? Not right so, now. No, let's, let's right, brighten not right it now. back up and switch gears and talk about actually recording percussion because we should make this somewhat useful for people. Thus, if yeah. you are recording percussion, you, Chris Hellstrom, you are in a studio mm -hmm. and you have a guy there that has been hired to come in and record some percussion on some recording that you are the engineer for, what do mm -hmm. you do? I treat it like I would, let's say, an orchestral instrument, like a cello or, or a violin. I wouldn't necessarily close mic everything. Mm -hmm. I want to treat that, let's say that this person has a multitude of instruments that he or she is performing. That's a lot. I want to try, yeah, I want to try to think of that as a whole. So I want to get some room in there. I'm not going to go all the way up to, let's say that it's well, whatever it is, if it's a pair of congas or whatever, I might not spot mic those to get. That I, I might get. I'm, I want his feel to come across, so I leave a little bit of room in there. So I'm going to back off a little bit, close enough where I get obviously all the nuances that I want, but I want to hear some of the room so that will sort of glue together a little bit. That's how I would approach it first, and then if I have to adjust accordingly, I will of course do that. But that's where I would start to try to get the sound that that is needed. Gotcha. What about you? Program dependent. Sure. Is how I would treat it. So if it's something that is meant for the spatial quality for the rest of the song and it's in a good room, I will do what you're talking about. I'm not necessarily going to spot mic the instrument or the item that's being struck. I will bring it back a little bit and set up the mic in an appropriate spot to capture the entire percussive element that's going on, if best and need be. Case in point, there is a show, it was about drumline type stuff. It was about like a high school drum core type show. Got it. Yeah. Hired to create some music and percussive elements for this stuff. In the process of doing so, I recorded someone smashing drumsticks against a filing cabinet in a room. As you do. As you yeah. do. Because yeah. it seemed kind of cool. It's like you smash the side of a filing cabinet with a drumstick and you get this pretty crazy percussive metal sound if your cabinet's made of metal, which mine happened to be. So that ended up becoming an element 
that I tracked multiple times to create like a drum corps of dudes or people smashing filing cabinets with drumsticks. That's cool. <laughs> and that became my drum line, so to speak. And so it's not an actual drum at all. It's a drum core of filing cabinets. That's very cool. So that's very, yeah. And that's Thinking why I think box, about though, yeah. everything of like, as I said early on in, in the podcast today is, you know, striking the desk with the side of my AirPods case that could be considered percussive. Why I did that, I have no idea, but because of where the filing cabinet was and setting up a mic in, in the room, was able to capture the vibe of that filing cabinet being hit and then being treated with a percussive element to it that is similar to what a drum corps might play. It worked out. It was pretty cool. And it was very different. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not normal. No, there's, there, there's a lot of room obviously for experimentation here, mm -hmm. you know, when you're doing, and, and again, style dependent, right? It's not always going to be appropriate, but if you take the time and perhaps after said performances, capturing a couple of extra samples of these noises to create your own libraries and things yes. that you can kind of throw in. Yeah. I remember hearing a story where Charlie Clauser from, you know, Saw fame and Nine Inch Nails and all right. this kind of stuff. He was telling the story when they were writing the title track for the movie Seven, mm. where there was an original piece of music written for that that he was not a part of. But he tells the story of where this guy who wrote that had done things like sampling his water faucet dripping mm -hmm. and that, you know, pitch manipulating that and turning it into something cool. Things like dropping a handful of wire hangers in the bathtub and recording that and, and pitch manipulating that and just creating all of these cool sounds. So like you said in the beginning that anything can kind of be a percussive instrument if you're using it in a certain way. Sure. Now there's a lot more there's a lot more leeway of this depending on, you know, if you're doing spooky, scary after movies like Seven, you know. Right. But uh but, but well, it can it's be used interesting in pop sense too because you got kids sitting on the street playing essentially 5-gallon <laughs> buckets. Sure. That you can get at Home Depot or wherever you get 5-gallon buckets. And you can right. treat those like a drum set, which is what you see happening on corners of streets, I guess, where yeah. you get a group of guys doing it and they can sound like a drum line or it can sound like whatever it is. And some of them will put the drums between their feet and manipulate the bucket. Yeah, they lift them. Yeah. They lift them and do but certain things to change the quality of how that's even sounding. So you can do really cool things with the percussion. Now, would you close mic a bucket? Probably not. You'd have to get back in order to get all of the variance of what they're doing in that kind of situation, which is a cool thing. But to kind of leap that into the concept of programming with this stuff, yeah. obviously there are tons of companies out there that are putting out all kinds of sample libraries for percussive type elements, and those are great. But as you said, taking what you have done, if you're thinking outside the box and banging on a filing cabinet or a drum or using a bucket as a drum, these are things that you can do. You can do the same thing with claps. I know that for a track that you helped me record, I had done I had probably 50 some odd plus tracks of hand claps. 
yeah. and layered them all yeah, together. Yeah, I remember that. And then yep. after I was all done, I cut them all up into the individual claps, and I now have my own instrument of my own claps that I can go and use in addition to other claps, like the El Clapo from Boss Digital Labs, Boss. which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. There's it. It's always fun to use your own sample instruments that you have created. Sometimes they're, not they're, always. Well, well, assuming Unless you're that Hans you've Zimmer, done... maybe if Hans Zimmer might be into using his own libraries all the time. But then again, <laughs> if he was, why would he be constantly creating new ones? So who knows? Well, but he, he's working on on a little bit of a bigger budget than most people. So sure. he can, he's Hans Zimmer, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> My point that I wanted to get to there is that it will always be a certain level of uniqueness to your sound, even sure. if it's just very small. But if you know that you're using your own samples and things and well, getting you don't have to worry about those. all the crazy publishing and copyright issues at that point if they're, if they're well, your they're, own well, samples. Well, if there's that too, of course, but you know, it, it's if it's your own clap, it's your own clap. Yes. Now, will most people care? No. No. But but at least you know that, and it, and it's another you know paint swash in, in your arsenal that you can use to to kind of create something different. But when it comes to actually recording programmed percussion, if mm -hmm. you're programming your own percussion, there was something that when we interviewed. George Leger III, yes. uh, a few episodes ago, he mentioned an application, an old legacy application that he said, this was able to spit out programmed percussion better than he could have done. Sure. Well, I think he's being a little modest there first, but the thing that we have to keep in mind is very much the same kind of mindset of how we would go about when we're programming a drum kit. Mm-hmm. Assuming that we're going for realism, right? But we certainly want to think about. Well, don't always assume, because you know what that no, does. But it, it makes an ass out of you and me. Bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> but the point that I was trying to get to there before I was so rudely interrupted <laughs> was that small changes in velocity will not only if it's decent enough sample library, it's not one that you might have done by yourself, trigger different velocities and different samples and therefore add a certain realism to what you're doing. And even if it is the same sample, having that trigger at different velocities, therefore different levels, will add emotion to it as opposed to having the old sort of machine gun effect, right? Sure. If you have, let's say it's a, you're programming conga performance and mm -hmm. you only have one sample that's going to sound horrible if you just have that going on and on it's not going to sound very natural at all so <laughs> playing with velocities and timings is is exactly what i would do sure what did i say uh, well it had nothing to do with what you said it's what popped into my head from a post that i recently saw on social media and please share it was in relation to the song blurred lines which, as a lot of people would hopefully know, that was a lawsuit that came from the Marvin Gaye estate against Robin Thicke, which also involved the producer, Pharrell. The interesting thing that was made in that post was there's a vocal sound that happens every two bars. Okay. It never changes. It's the same vocal sound. And it's used percussively, so to speak, with a little bit of pitch, so to speak, throughout the entire song. 
it never changes. So the emotional value of it technically never changes. But unless it's pointed out to you, you generally don't even think about it. It's just kind of there. However, yeah. once it's pointed out and you're listening to the song, it's like, damn it. Yeah, you can't unhear it, <laughs> you right? Can't yeah. Hear the fact that it's just there and it's there all the time and it just keeps going and going like the Energizer bunny. <laughs> right. So the interesting thing about it is it was more effectively used and probably more popularized by It Takes Two to Make a Thing Go Right. I'm not sure if that's the right title of that song, but. That's the song that I think kind of really popularized the concept of the woo kind of sound with a okay. high pitch, like it's almost in falsetto-y kind of high thing that I technically probably can't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't look at me, man. I'm I'm not a singer. So yeah. Right. Should we try to put a bow on this one here, Jody? Anything that you would like to add? Buy it for Christmas and get a set of sleigh bells. That way you can always make Christmas versions of all your songs. How about that? That is solid advice because it seems like people never get sick of Christmas music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I remember on the personal anecdote here, I can't remember. It feels like forever ago. But I was helping you engineer an album when you did a three-album arc of Christmas music. Oh, good God. Please don't bring that up. Okay. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> that it was for <laughs> – an entire summer, well, we were both obviously listening to Christmas music. And if yes. I ever, if I never hear Jingle Bells one more time, I'm a happy man. There so. you go. <laughs> With that, we're going to fly into Friday Finds. And what have you got for us today, Chris? Well, appropriately enough, I have discovered a sample library called Word Percussion Creator. Word, how do you spell it, that? World Percussion Creator. Oh, world. I thought you said warp. Oh, world. W-R-C. I can't spell it now. W-O-R-L-D. <laughs> okay. I'm a musician. I'm not a speller. Uh, world Percussion Creator by In Session Audio. And it runs on the contact engine like okay. so many things do. I was checking it out and it seems really, really cool. It looks really, really deep. It has, I think, at least what I got from it, it was very much geared towards the cinematic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it has to be used in that way, obviously, but it looked really, really deep and had a lot of built-in stuff and a lot of flexibility that I thought, well, hmm, how apropos we're talking percussion today, and that looked like a really, really cool percussion library. Well, there so, it is. What about you, Jody? What you what did you discover? I discovered that Softube decided to try and beat Roland at their own game. Ooh. Yeah. Softube has released a software instrument version of the Roland Juno 106. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It makes me go, hmm. I love the dudes at Softube. They're great guys. And yeah. They make some really amazing stuff. Softube has come out with a Roland Juno 106. And Very now cool. if you want those big-ass Roland 106 sounds from whatever era that was, you can 80s. get them. You can get yeah. them straight from Softube. So do it. Very cool. Yeah. I dig it. While we've got your attention, 
go to our website and leave us a review at insidetherecordingstudio.com or you can also sign up for the email list. If you're on the email list, you will be automatically entered for any giveaway that we do. In addition to that, you'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips and we'll make sure that you don't miss any episodes of Chris and I rambling on about things like percussion. If you also would like to send us an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word percussion in the subject line, you will get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to pontificate upon for a future episode, we have a contact form on the website at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com. You fill that out, you hit send, it comes to our inbox, and we go, yay, and then we talk about it. With that, simple enough. Yes. We'll say, see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody.